0: Is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello, I'm Michelle Stanley with you for the Country Hour this afternoon, and I'm taking you to central Australia today to a hay farm jumping through the hoops to get organic certification.
1: We expect that this should also help us improve the root bed, and that ultimately should see us using less water and also using West uh, diesel in maintaining operations.
0: There's a fair bit happening in that neck of the woods too. You'll hear about it shortly. Also today, you're celebrating a birthday on the country hour. The R2-E2 Mango has turned 40 years old. And have you ever wondered about that name, R2-E2? I know I have. You'll finally get the answer as to where it came from.
2: Well, that rumour's got a little bit of truth to it, I must say. And uh, that name stuck.
0: Yeah, look, I'm not going to give it away just yet. You'll have to keep listening to the Country Hour to find out where that name came from. The R2E2 Mango turning 40 years old. First up today though, you might have noticed the cost of unleaded petrol falling recently. That's thanks to a slump in the global price of crude oil in November. But diesel prices remain stubbornly high in many places. So what's the dif- the price what's behind the price difference between petrol and diesel? Max Rowley takes a look.
3: Motor refueling depot in Catherine. Next to a couple of triple road trains, livestock trucks that are fueling up before they head off to move some more cattle.
4: Ah, uh, Johnny's just finished fueling here. That's Jim
3: Gozzo, the Catherine manager for Road Trains of Australia.
4: He's right to go and he's, he's got to go and tear off at the moment and then uh, he's ready for his next job tomorrow. How much fuel goes into one of these trucks? Ah, oh, these hull about 2,200 or something, I think. These ones. Gee, that's a lot of, that's a lot of fuel. Yeah multiply that by what we're getting charged for it it's a lot of money.
3: In fact Jim Gozzo says that fuel is one of the business's main costs. It's a big expense yeah it's huge huge. And you know diesel prices are pretty high at the moment take me through just the kind of impact that that's having on your business.
4: Well you've got to pass it on the consumer and the passers which is our friends and our customers alternative they've got to pass it on as well you know. And uh, so it's the government that's passed it on to us, so you pass it on, you know. Obviously, you don't consume the whole lot, but uh, it's it's a big cost. So you bear some of that cost yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As everyone else does as well.
3: It sounds like a bit of a perfect storm at the moment with, you know, worker shortages. You've had high ad blue prices in the past year. They've skyrocketed.
4: Now diesel costs as well. Yeah, well, they blame COVID. Then they blame the war over there, Ukraine. Nothing's changed and the prices are still the same. So the worst thing is you've got to pass the cost on to someone. Someone's got to pay at the end of the day. And that's what's happening at the moment. I think all the customers are paying. Everyone's paying. But if you're going off wholesale diesel prices, truckies and other
3: motorists should be paying less, with the price dropping over the past month. So why isn't that translating to lower prices at the Bowser? Here's Jeff Trotter, General Manager of FuelTrack.
5: Well, the, the short answer is there's no strict competition laws that apply in the Northern Territory, so there's no price capping, there's no maximum retail price, so service station owners, oil companies, basically set the price at whatever level they like and given that they can do that, they have chosen to increase their profit margin to the extent that if you took the situation in Darwin, uh, back on the 2nd of November, the average diesel price in Darwin was about $2.40 a litre at the pump. The wholesale price was $2.20. That gave them a retail margin of 20 cents a litre. Today, the average diesel price in Darwin is $2.37. The underlying wholesale price is $1.95, so they're now making $0.42 cents a litre, double what they were making back on the 2nd of November. So the international price has dropped, but diesel retailer service stations have pretty much converted that international price drop to an increase in their gross profit margin. They, they've They've taken $0.20 cents a litre, of the 25 litre drop and convert it into an extra profit for themselves.
3: And so, Territorians are paying more for their fuel than Australians in other parts of the country?
5: Uh, no, no. The um, oil companies are pretty much equal opportunity offenders around Australia. Um, you know, uh, most diesel users in Australia are being held to ransom by these oil companies. The most price locations that we check have not had anything like a reduction of 25 cents a litre in their retail prices, nothing like it. So the question is, what are bodies like the ACCC and Treasury, who said that they were very, very closely monitoring petrol prices and diesel prices in Australia to ensure that motorists wouldn't miss out on on international price movements? Um, Well, let me tell you, they've missed very badly, what's been going on with the diesel prices in Australia.
3: Any theories as to why this is affecting diesel more than unleaded?
5: Uh, well, there hasn't been any particular focus by government bodies. Um, if you look at the comments in relation to you know, the ACCC, Treasury and so on, pretty much the focus is almost exclusively on, on petrol prices. And to be honest, uh, the media doesn't normally take much interest in diesel prices either despite the fact that the amount of diesel used in Australia at about 30 billion litres is almost double the 15 or 16 billion litres of petrol that's used in Australia every year. You could argue that diesel is the most important product, particularly given that it underpins all the transport tasks in Australia by road transport and largely by rail. So the diesel price impact has the most direct effect on you know, cost-of-living energy input costs into transport and logistics, you know, food distribution, um, you know, a whole range of other products. So focus should be on what's happening in the diesel market.
3: So what needs to happen there, Jeff?
5: Well, well um, I've noticed there's been a number of suggestions about government possible intervention in other markets, gas markets and so on, and perhaps the, um, the government might consider... Uh, intervention in the diesel market in Australia. If not the federal government, then the ACCC has a role in certainly monitoring these prices and calling them out if in fact um, they consider that international price drops have not been passed through to diesel users in Australia. And Treasury should be very interested because of the impact on the budget and the CPI calculation.
3: Meanwhile, back at the fuel depot, Jim Gozzo says he hopes something
4: will change. Oh, I think everyone's struggling, whether it's cattle transport, road freight, tipper freight, whatever. And um, we do worry about the pastoralists because they got to buy fuel too. That's our bread and butter, as to speak, you know. We look after them and they look after us. So it's getting charged on a little bit here and there. So, yeah, I, f- I feel for them. I think everyone needs a bit of a... Everyone needs a break. It's, it's over the top.
0: That's Jim Gozo. He's the Catherine Manager of Road Trains Australia, ending that report by Max Rowley. And the Country Hour has contacted the Australasian Convenience and Petroleum Marketers Association and the ACCC. We hope to bring you comment from them tomorrow. I wonder what you're seeing on 0487-991057. What difference you're seeing in the price of petrol and diesel, whether it's going down where you are, hopefully? 0487 is the text. 21 to 1 on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley along with you this afternoon. This is The Waifs, fish, Fisherman's Daughter. That is The Waifs. Slow down. And Fisherman's Daughter on the Country Hour. It is 17 to 1.
6: G'day, folks. I'm Darcy Skirr. I'm the Farm Supervisor at Pinata Farms Catherine here in Matarinka. I'm a third-generation farmer for a family-owned business and company. So, yeah, I'm probably one of the guys out there. And, yeah, you listen to the Country Hour.
0: The owners of the Ulu Hay Farm near Tea Tree in Central Australia are working to have the property certified organic. The Kaysen Group, which also owns the neighbouring Aileron Station, bought the irrigation property last year from Ray, Roy Chisholm and have plans to plant industrial hemp in 2023. Managing Director Craig Astle told Dan Fitzgerald about what's happened at the farm since Kaysen took over
1: main things that we've we looked to do is uh, working on the property, look to uh, see it uh, transition from um, a traditional um, hay producer to being a hay producer of uh, an organic product. And that uh, has come about in part based on um, also our uh, significant work that's been done in innovation R&D around uh, soil microbes, soil health and uh, looking to um, also shift onto a organic uh, fertiliser regime, which was uh, always the plan. So uh, uh, the property had historically um, been growing using traditional methods and uh, inputs such as uh, urea and NPK and uh, we've now uh, moved the property across using uh, just organic uh, fertiliser inputs, microbes, and uh, that will uh, allow us to be immediately Uh, producing uh, organic in uh, conversion product.
6: And why does KSON want to get that organic certification for the farm and go organic?
1: Uh, One of the key things is that uh, in around the Alice Springs uh, district area, there are a number of properties that are organic properties. That will allow us to be able to supply them directly with an organic hay. And uh, also for us with uh, Aileron, it's going to uh, allow us to also see that uh, our livestock will um, transition into being uh, an organic product as well. Medium term, we're uh, looking towards our certification being uh, USDA, which will uh, also allow us to uh, to move into the USA uh, market with uh, a processed package product uh, as far as our uh, livestock uh, from Aileron.
6: So for, for beef to be certified organic... Um, when the cattle occasionally eat hay in central Australia,
1: that hay needs to be organic, correct?
6: Uh, that is correct.
1: Uh, so uh, this is very uh, beneficial for us. Um, the purchase of the tea tree property uh, was always seen to be strategic uh, for that reason as uh, it allows us to ensure that uh, the future of uh, what we're uh, undertaking on Aileron means that uh, we can look to uh, service those uh, those markets domestically and uh, overseas.
6: And how has the uh, conversion to going organic on the hay farm going? Is it it more difficult or or how are things going?
1: The process of uh, fertiliser application is uh, the same as what uh, was undertaken using uh, the traditional method of uh, distribution of fertiliser. We've also got the benefit of uh, the fertigation system on the property which uh, allows us to deliver the the application of microbes either uh, via that fertigation system or using a boom spray. So very simple uh, in terms of its application and uh, we expect that this should also help us uh, improve the root bed and uh, that ultimately should see us uh, using less water and uh, also using uh, less diesel in uh, maintaining operations.
6: The price of traditional fertilisers have uh, shot up. Over recent times, how do the organic fertilisers and, and, and methods compare price-wise?
1: Based on the inputs and availability, um, being from uh, inputs available here in Australia, uh, it, uh, it's actually now cheaper for us to have gone organic than to maintain using the uh, the traditional approach.
6: Does caisson still have plans to uh, grow hemp there at the property?
1: we uh, we certainly do so at the moment uh we've got of the primary pivots they're uh, they're producing raised grass hay um the smaller uh, pivots on the property uh which are only a fourteen hectare pivot um they are now uh, growing buffalo and uh, we are um, also running some uh stock from aileron uh over at uh, the tea fruit property and uh, we've got plans uh in place for a further three uh twenty eight hectare pivots which um, we expect will a combination of, uh, once again, roads, grass, lucerne, and uh, possibly uh, one of those will be uh, also for hemp. We do have uh, some hemp trials which are being planned, and um, the benefit that we've got uh, on the property is uh, having uh, historically um, been a, a property producing crops, that there is a, quite uh, a good area that's uh, been set up with uh, with drip line and um, we'll be uh, looking to run uh, a hemp trial under pivot and also uh, on drip line, and uh, expect that we'll uh, get that away in 2023.
6: And why do you think hemp is a good crop for Central Australia?
1: Given the experience that we've got uh, with another company that we're uh, strategically involved with out of Western Australia, uh, where we have grown quite considerable uh, crops under Centre Pivot, um, and those crops have been for production of uh, seed stock, to be used in um, the emerging uh, protein industry uh, as well as the food and fibre which has been uh, also utilised for multiple different uh, purposes whether it be for the building industry or as a fibre and herd and uh, we think the conditions in central Australia are in fact um, ideal and in particular for uh, the tea tree property sitting above the tropic of Capricorn. Um, we think uh, there is a good chance that we should be able to consistently get three crops a year growing were you just running a pure hemp crop.
0: Craig Astle is the Managing Director of Kason Group. He was speaking with Dan Fitzgerald about the organic plans for its hay farm near Tea Tree in Central Australia and also those industrial hemp plans at Aileron Station next year as well. On the topic of organics, the peak body for Australia's organic industry is optimistic about demand for its members' produce, despite rising cost of living pressures. Research from Australian Organic Limited earlier this year shows, on average, organic products are around 30% more expensive than conventional items across supermarket shelves. That's everything, not just fruit and veggies. But Chief Executive Nikki Ford says some lines are actually cheaper.
7: We're in the middle of doing research right now, which will come out early next year, around uh, what the market actually looks like. But certainly anecdotally from what we're hearing uh, across our members and across the industry is that, you know, demand, especially over the last two years with the challenges to export markets, products have been consumed in a domestic market and there's been no loss. Uh, given those, that inability to get outside of the country at affordable prices. So we know that people want more. Um, globally, people have been wanting more, uh, especially because organic provides you a product that doesn't have all the additives that non, non-organic products have, and that's from additional chemicals in production all the way through to additives um, in new manufactured or um, livestock products. So people want higher quality products that don't have the additives, and that's what organic certified organic um, provides you.
3: You mentioned earlier, I think it was uh, organic produce is around 30% more expensive. Um, given the cost of living pressures, is that turning people away lately?
7: Sorry, I- that's a category average, so 32 is across all different categories, not just f- uh, fruit and veggies. Look, I think people will be um, shopping to their needs regardless, but we have seen evidence in the last research we did that you know, those who are buying organic on a regular basis have actually bought more. Um, in fact, the last market report that we provided uh, last year demonstrated that 56% of those who were buying organic actually bought more than what they did previously. Uh, and so while the people are watching where they're spending their money, um, there is certainly uh, evidence to suggest that those who are spending it in that space, actually see that as a value option. They mightn't be going out as many nights to have dinners out, but they'll be cooking in. And we certainly saw that trend, you know, explode over COVID when no one could go out. People were trading up to a more premium product. Um, and that has not um, significantly changed uh, in the last year. But obviously, people will still continue to edit um, their budget pattern over the coming years. But the value that comes with organic isn't just price. The quality and the value that people put on the environmental impact is also a significant player in consumers' decision-making.
3: Is there a lot of room for
6: growth in this sector with organic produce? Are people looking to expand uh, the amount that they grow?
7: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, you only have to look at the two major retailers who um, have significantly expanded their organic offering and look, that's where at the growth area is. We know again through market reports that was done for over a decade, most people are shopping organic in the major retailers, um and that breadth of range really has been a focus of both of those retailers for the last three or five years. Each of those retailers are actually trying to get more operators on board because the demand um, is outstripping the supply.
0: Chief Executive of Australian Organic Limited, Nikki Ford, speaking there with Peter Somerville.
8: Half a step forward, put to the pitch. Get, get. ABC Sports, Summer of Cricket. is party time. On the ABC Listen app. Every ball. Punching this through the offside. Every catch. That is an extraordinary catch. Every wicket. Ball
7: in. Wickets tumbling. Live. Another hundred. And ad free. Oh.
0: ABC Sports, Summer of Cricket, live on the ABC Listen app. And the cricket will be back later this week. We'll have a bit of an interrupted program. And last week, if you missed the show, if you only caught that 25-minute country hour during the lunch break at the cricket, you can hear the whole program online. The full hour podcast is up for you to take a listen. Just head to the ABC Listen app or the ABC website and search NT Country Hour.
2: You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
0: Michelle Stanley with you at 6 to 1. A court has handed down the largest fine in Australian history to a labour hire firm for breaching licensing rules. The Supreme Court of Victoria issued fines of more than $386,000 to Ong Services and $96,000 to the company's director, Nico Keat after the firm's licence to operate was cancelled for trying to circumvent labour laws. Victorian Labour Hire Commissioner Steve Dargavel hopes the punishment will motivate other labour hire companies to look after their workers.
8: The director applied for a labour hire licence. He wasn't a fit and proper person. Um, He had a number of serious convictions. Uh, He was refused a licence. Another gentleman applied for a licence, obtained a licence, and then the first gentleman popped himself uh, on as the sole director of the second business. So it was an attempt to circumvent the cheques that are there to protect vulnerable workers. The authority took the view that that kind of attempt to avoid uh, protection of workers was uh, not right, and we took the matter to court and the judge awarded significant penalties for the attempted avoidance of the licensing scheme.
9: Do you know what type of of produce or work that this particular company was engaged in either harvesting or or working in? Uh,
8: The business was supplying uh, workers or seeking to supply workers in the Arrow Valley and um, is no longer
9: operating over $386,000 of fines to the company, $96,000 in fines to the individual. What does that judgment say about the the strengthening of of laws to license labour hire in the state?
8: What the judgment says to business is that if you're trying to circumvent the rules and trying to get around the rules and uh, do the wrong thing, you will be found out and you'll pay a very heavy price not just for your business but for you personally and that uh, the consequence of trying to dodge the law at the expense of vulnerable workers will cost you dearly
9: this is the biggest fine for for this kind of offense in the in the history of victoria is that right
8: it's the biggest fine for this type of offense in the history of australia so i think we can take from that that the authority takes a very dim view of businesses and people who are trying to avoid the scheme that's there to protect vulnerable workers. Of course, people trying to do the right thing can be reassured that if they're being undercut by people trying to dodge the scheme uh, there to protect vulnerable workers, that uh, there are very significant penalties that can be applied and will be applied.
9: And I suppose as a result of a judgment like this, what is your advice to to farmers and other businesses that use labour hire companies uh, that are operating in the state?
8: Well, uh, the advice is remains the same, which is please make sure you're using licensed labour hire providers and make sure that everyone in the supply chain is licensed. So if you've got a subby or a, a subby of a subbie on your site and you're not quite sure, try and find out because... Um, it is your obligation to make sure that you're dealing with businesses that are, are operating in accordance with the law. And that's to make sure we've got a level playing field, make sure that the work, workforce is being treated properly and we've got a sustainable industry.
9: Is this a one-off type of judgment or are there other or similar cases that are currently being brought before the courts?
8: There are other cases that are in the process of being brought before the courts and uh, we strongly prefer that people like this gentleman did not try and circumvent the law and and that there wasn't a need for prosecution. But, of course, um, there is a need and we have a number of cases to bring before the courts in the next little while.
0: That is the Victorian Labor Hire Commissioner Steve Dargaville speaking to Warwick Long about Victoria's Supreme Court handing down the largest fine in Australian history to a Labor Hire firm and its director for breaching licensing rules. So $386,000 to the company and 96000 to the company's director. It is two to one. Hi, I'm Sophie. I work at Monsoon Aquatics and I love working with giant clams. You're listening to Country Hour. The company with plans to build a rare earths mine in central Australia has just announced it's raising some more money for the project. Dan Fitzgerald joins me in the studio. Dan, what can you tell us?
10: Well, Arifura Resources has announced today it's received, quote, firm commitments from Australian and international investors to raise $121 million to go towards its Nolans project, there, north of Alice Springs. So the company, in total, it's looking to raise around a billion dollars to get the whole project off the ground. So it needs a lot of money, and according to this ASX release this morning, Hancock Prospecting, Gina Reinhardt's mining company, has committed to investing sixty million dollars, uh, which it says will result in a post-completion interest of around ten percent in Arifura. Uh, the managing director there, Gavin Lockyer, said uh, this funding will enable us to accelerate our development activities, allowing commitment to long lead equipment and commencing on-country earthworks in preparation for our planned construction project in 2023. Uh, share market, though, he hasn't reacted too kindly with this news. Uh, our Arafura shares are down 11% today.
0: all yeah, right There you go. Thank you very much for that, Dan. Oh, we are coming up to the one o'clock news on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. After the news... What is behind the name of the R2E2 Mango? You will finally find out. We'll also check in with the Bre- weather bureau. That coming up in five. It's one o'clock.
3: G'day, my name's Trevor Derling. I work for Par and Water, and you're listening to the Country Hour.
0: Hello, good to have you along this half hour. Michelle Stanley with you on the program today, and we're celebrating a birthday. The R2E2 mango has turned 40 years old. And if you've ever wondered about the name, R2E2, I know I have, you'll finally get the answer as to where it came from.
2: Well, that rumour's got a little bit of truth to it, I must say. And uh, that name stuck.
0: Yeah, not, not giving it away just yet. You'll have to keep listening to the Country Hour to find out where the name came from. It is coming up for you very shortly, but if you have a guess... As to where R2E2 comes from, the name of the mango, I would love to hear it. 0487991057 is the text line. 0487991057. What do you reckon? Where did the name R2E2 come from? Let me know. Let's get some weather first, though. Moses Rako is at the Bureau of Meteorology. Moses, let's start off by talking about the heat. There is a heatwave warning for large parts of Arnhem Land. What's behind this hot weather?
11: Yeah, so, Michelle, we've kind of seen that heat build across uh, northwestern parts of uh, the country, which is the heat is normally there this time of the year, right? Um, there's normally a heat trough over that area. This time, though, we're just kind of seeing that heat just gradually build. It's not getting flushed out by any particular systems or weather systems. So it's basically spreading across from WA into the NT, probably making its way into Queensland later this week. But basically, we're seeing um, that heat just continue pretty much for most of this week, if not all of it, um, up into part of the start of the weekend at least. So those temperatures, uh, very hot temperatures, 40 degrees or plus, is extending right across a good portion of the Territory today and probably extending throughout probably um, over inland parts of the top end and uh, central and southern districts from tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's that's probably just the main story there with that heat trying to keep cool as best you can. Uh, there's also the thunderstorms that if they do get going, there's lots of dry air. Uh, above the surface at the moment. So if there's, uh, those thunderstorms do get going today, we could see some gusty thunderstorms developing mainly around the northern parts of the top end uh, uh, it today.
0: Is there likely to be any rainfall in those thunderstorms, though? Probably
11: not. Uh, look, there, there could be some rainfall, but as those winds generally pick up during the week, we're not expecting much rainfall with it. That being said, we did have some... Um, some rainfall around Worrawee yesterday. Uh, that picked up, I think it was about 28 um, millimetres or 27 or 28 millimetres to 9am this morning. Um, but though winds have picked up in strength um, from yesterday to today, so we're expecting, you know, there's really good rainfall that we were seeing um, a week or so ago. Probably we're not going to see that um, just because the storms and showers are moving pretty quickly from, um, yeah, from uh, east to west. So, um, yeah, that's the main thing. So if you, if you do happen to be under uh, a shower or thund, thunderstorm, which will probably be very isolated, um, that's probably the only relief. But then again, they could be quite gusty as well. So, so how long are those
0: mind. hot conditions expected to hang out for?
11: Yeah, pretty much at least some part of the territory will be probably impacted by this heat wave. We may see just a very marginal reprieve in the south, um, maybe from Wednesday, potentially Thursday, as a weak trough moves into the southern parts of the NT. And that may just drop the temperatures from the 40s down into the high 30s, which is still above average for this time of the year for places like Alice and Yolara um, But we'll probably see that heat pick up again um, uh, closer to the, the weekend, I guess. Um, and, yeah, we'll just have to watch the space with regards to early next week because we may see a second trough that may push a little bit further north um, into central parts of the Territory and that may provide maybe a little bit more cooling. But we've just got to watch that space and, and um, keep a close eye on the models over the coming days.
0: So when are the rains expected to return to the Top End?
11: Yeah, so I think the only chance of seeing those rains is with those showers and thunderstorms, not expecting any whole-scale um, return of a whole heap of moisture at this stage. It may improve a little. The surface moisture or low-level moisture might improve later in the week, which may improve the chances um, at that time. But at this stage, it's just looking like a slight, maybe a moderate chance right along the um, northwestern parts of the top end later this week of seeing a, a shower or thunderstorm. But like I said, be aware that... Um, they could definitely, and by the end of the week, we could actually be seeing severe thunderstorms with those uh, winds really picking up if our models are right um, later this week.
0: And how are conditions in the Barclay and Central Australia?
11: Yeah, so the temperature's gradually heating up there, um, looking at around 40 degrees plus from tomorrow. Um, temperatures um, getting up into the 40 degrees uh, around that area for Yulara today. Um, probably seeing Alice Springs getting up into uh, 40 degrees plus from tomorrow as well. Um, Just basically that heat's extending right throughout the Territory over the next couple of days.
0: Thanks for that, Moses.
11: You're welcome, Michelle.
0: That is Moses Rako from the Bureau of Meteorology. He touched briefly on the rainfall. um, To 9 o'clock this morning, only two figures. Warruee had 29 millimetres and Groot Island had four. It's 11 past one on the Country Hour and about once a month we tend to get an update on how the aquifers are faring in the Darwin rural area and there was a fair amount of rain during November. Adrian Costa is the Director of Water Assessment. How have the aquifers responded to that rainfall?
12: Yeah, that's right, Michelle. Uh, Darwin and particularly Catherine have had a lot of rain uh, over the back end of November. In fact, Catherine's double the average Uh, From November and that's translated into the aquifer systems so it might be limited use too with a bit of rainfall around but certainly we've seen um, our water levels come up uh, on average around about a metre in the Darwin area so that's really good news.
0: Wow that's that's huge. Um, The rainfall has well stopped effectively for much of the territory in the last few days and it's looking pretty hot and dry for the next little while. How is that going to impact things?
12: Well, look, you know, as we know, um, these systems uh, will recharge really well when we have rainfall, but, um, you know, particularly in the dry, it's really a drought, um, they don't get recharged. So we just need to be mindful of our use. Um, This year we did have an early onset, which is great. It was better than last year. We got rains a lot earlier. And so we've had a lot of rain through sort of October and November. And I guess typically we do get a lot of rain around the end of December, but we just, again, need to be mindful of our use because that'll be helpful for when we hit the next dry too.
0: What are you expecting for the next few weeks um, while it is a little bit drier?
12: Well, we might expect those um, systems to still keep uh, recharging, depending on what the use is. Um, but, yeah, look, if we get a fair they, – they reactive, they they're quite reactive. So um, if we don't get a period of um, – of rain, then they might tend to drop or stabilise. So uh, it's really important that um, that we are mindful of our use uh, during this period. But um, look, the indicators are that we'll get some more rain around the end of December um, into January, and that'll that'll um, put us in good stead for for the dry.
0: There's been quite a bit of rainfall in the Victoria River catchment. What has that meant?
12: Yeah, look, it has been significant. We've had about 90 mils in the month of November and that's led to some minor flooding uh, in the Kalkaringia Wavefield area. So that's the um, earliest flooding on record. So that's quite significant for the area.
0: Well, So we've had the earliest flooding on record and we've also had double the average rainfall in Catherine. So November was quite the wet month
12: yeah it was quite a bumper so um yeah it's really exciting to see those sort of uh numbers and keep an eye on it but as you said you know we haven't had any rain in december we're hopeful that'll change as it can um the rainfall is quite localized and you know those systems seem to come in quite quickly and then they disappear quite quickly so um yeah look let's just hope that we get some more rain in um december and in january
0: what about in central australia down around alice springs
12: yeah, look, they have had some rainfall. Uh, my records here say that they've had um, around about 50 mils in November, which is around about average, maybe just above it. So they have had some rain, which is, which is very interesting. And we remember last year that November in, and earlier this year in February were some, some uh, big months for them. Um, but, um, yeah, it's looking around about on average around central Australia. So they've had a little bit around there.
0: Adrian Costa, thank you for your time.
12: Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Appreciate it.
0: He's the Director of Water Assessment.
11: Know your emergency plan this summer. A
12: third consecutive London
11: year. And rely on ABC to be with you. What can I do? Broadcasting up to the minute critical information.
3: We have issued an emergency warning.
11: Online at ABC Emergency and on your local ABC Radio. ABC Radio, reliable source for information. Stay safe, stay connected. I don't
7: know what I'd do without the ABC.
11: Download the ABC Listen app and stay connected with your local ABC radio station.
0: It's quarter past one on the Country Hour, taking you to Bowen next, the home of the R2E2 Mango. It's celebrating its 40th birthday this month. You'll hear a little bit about the history after Troy Cassadaly's Bow River. That is Troy Cassadaly and his take on Bow River. It's 20 past
4: one. Hi, I'm Jake Stringer. I'm the manager of Kidman Spring Station,
1: and you're listening to The Country Hour.
0: We're actually celebrating a pretty special birthday on The Country Hour today. The R2E2 mango variety is turning 40 years old. It was the first variety to branch off in a big way from the Kensington Pride mango. And of course, since then, there have been plenty of new varieties come along. Dr Ian Bally is one of the researchers who worked on developing the original R2-E2. He spoke with Lucy Cooper about how the variety came about.
2: The original experiment that led to the um, selection of the R2-E2 variety um, was started in the mid-70s, early to mid-70s, and it came about after... um, a program was um, put together to see if we could introduce and evaluate international varieties, some local selections to complement the the then growing uh, popularity of the Kensington Pride variety. So Kensington Pride was becoming popular with consumers, that great flavour that we're all used to, but unfortunately the uh, productivity wasn't, wasn't brilliant. And so it was thought that we needed to actually find other varieties that would extend the season and uh, maybe improve the productivity. So we had a a good genetic basis of which the industry could grow.
13: How common is it for plant breeders and plant scientists to be involved with the creation of a variety as successful as the R2E2 variety?
2: Yes, well, I suppose all plant breeders... um, endeavour to produce varieties that are going to make a difference with industry and often in some of the vegetables or the grains or other species um, there's a lot of breeding effort and varieties change every three to five years with tree crops it's a bit slower and with tropical and subtropical tree crops it's even slower still there's a lot less effort and um when we do come up with something that makes a difference, um, it tends to be grown for a long time because mango orchards aren't planted for one or two years, they're planted for up to 40 years.
13: How does it feel to be one of those scientists involved with creating a variety that's
2: a household name? Well, it makes me feel proud and it, uh, it's a great basis to um, keep a, a breeding program growing Having done it once, we're always striving to do it again with new varieties for the future.
13: And, you know, what characteristics that does that fruit hold that makes it so popular?
2: Well, as I said earlier at the time, we were looking for a variety that could supplement um, Kensington Pride and probably surpass a lot of the green, stringy commons that were being marketed at the time. So R2E2 came along and came out of a, a trial that we had on the Bowen Research Station here where we planted a whole range of seedlings from Florida and international and Australian varieties, and we were looking for diversity. So in um, the very early 80s, we um, cropped out to eat it for the first time, and we noticed that it had a nice large fruit, which uh, was always a, a great thing to, to find in a variety. Great blush, but also a very round shape, which gave it over 70% uh, flesh recovery. So that's really good for the consumer. But probably the main characteristics which has stood it in good stead over those years is its firmness of flesh and its shelf life. And that has allowed it to become the mainstay of the Australian export market.
13: And I've got to ask, naming mango varieties, what went into the name R2E2? Because there is quite the, I would say, industry rumour that everyone was just a big Star Wars fan. and simply just liked R2D2 and decided to put an E in there but surely there's, there's something else behind that.
2: Well that rumour has got a little bit of truth to it I must say. So the original trial on the Bowen Research Station here was planted in the block E2. Um, there were several rows and the tree was in row two, so E2R2 and it was tree number one or tree number two, I don't quite remember. But um, that name is a little bit difficult to say and doesn't roll off the tongue that well. So um, we shortened it to um, R2E2 and putting the the row 2 e 2 block E2 first, and then we dropped the T2. But as you say, and as the rumors say, the the Star Wars uh, little um, drone robot was very popular at the time and so the r2e2 r2d2 rolled off everyone's tongue and so it was very easy to remember and uh, that name stuck.
13: Well I'm very glad to hear that there is some truth to that rumour because it just makes it so much more fun. I'm now going to be speaking with a grower here in Bowen. Would you mind introducing yourself?
14: My name is Francis Williams and uh, I've been a farmer all my life. I uh, came to Bowen about 46, 47 years ago.
13: Lionel, as a mango grower in Bowen, 40 years ago, why did you decide to take on the R2E2 variety?
14: Well, we were, originally came to Bowen and we grew tomatoes. And I decided that we needed a more permanent crop because with tomatoes you start off with bare ground every year. And the R2E2 variety had just been uh, released... And, and it looked like a fairly good option. And so when I decided that I was going to plant mangoes, we, we took that option up of planting the new variety. Uh, I didn't know much about it, but we, we saw some of the fruit, and it looked pretty good, and so that was where it started. I, I, we planted an orchard, um, finished up with about 100 acres of r2e2 fairly early in the piece, and we've still got those trees.
13: 40 years ago, would you describe that decision to try that variety as a risk?
14: A minor risk, because I knew the guys here at the research station and I'd seen the fruit and uh, there was no reason to doubt that it wasn't going to perform as it, as it showed it was. And so, yeah, but I guess uh, we were a little bit nervous, I suppose, yes.
13: A risk that you would describe as having been having paid off?
14: Uh, yes, over the years, uh, they did well for us. Yes, the market now is uh, has changed quite a bit, um, and it's become more popular on the export market than it is on the local market and uh, we've been able to to use that market a little bit. Uh, this year's looks like being a, a oversupply year, so things are a bit bit tough this year, but up up till now've they've been they've, they've been well for us yes.
13: The 40 years that you've been growing the variety, what would you say has changed over that time? What's a big difference you definitely notice in 2022 that didn't exist 40 years ago?
14: Probably the 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 range of varieties that are now in the market. Uh, you've got uh, a number of other varieties come on that have become uh, fairly high production. Uh, we also grow Honey Gold and. Uh, Calypso is another variety that's produced in fairly high volume. So the market has has got um, more variety now than it used to have.
0: That is Bowen mango grower, Lionel Williams, who was speaking with Lucy Cooper, celebrating 40 years of the R2E2 mango. And there you go. The name R2E2 comes from block E2 and the tree was in row two. Add a little bit of Star Wars into the mix and the name is stuck 40 years
13: on. Summertime is the time to stream happiness. You need a laugh. With comedy galore on ABC iView. Really? Let me show you. Brand new laughs like We're Logical and Summer Love, and then I got a little funny. And returning favourites like Frayed, Aftertaste, and Fisk, and so much more. I'm loving them. Stream comedy happiness for free. Last one, all summer long on ABC iView. In the summertime. Now, if
0: you missed the start of the program today, we were talking about the price difference between diesel and petrol. Petrol has started to drop, but diesel hasn't quite followed suit. So, I mean, if you missed the conversation, catch it back on the podcast, head online or search on the ABC Listen app, just pop NT Country Hour into your browser. You should be able to find it. But looking at diesel prices, as we go to air this afternoon, diesel in Raman Ginning, $3.79, in Nulamboy, $2.63, $3.40 $3.40 in the Docker River, $3.10 at Hearts Range, and $2.29 in Tennant Creek. That's where you need to get the diesel. Uh, so catch that story back on the podcast or online if you've got some time and want to hear more about that. That's it from me. It's 1.30.